Yo, yo, what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mack, and this is the Kobe Told Me Podcast. You whenever I want to, deep dive with the Mac himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure. It's Tuesday, July 23rd, and this is episode 16, aka the sweet 16th episode of the pod. And if you can't tell, I'm excited. It was a great past week. It's a great start to the week that we're currently in. Man, I got a chance to take in a whole lot of films. You know, I'm still trying to catch up after my little Euro trip, and it was great. I got a chance to check out yesterday. Annabelle comes home. The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Wild Rose. Yo, y'all gotta check out Last Black Man in San Francisco. Wild Rose. Like, Jonathan Majors, Jesse Buckley. I mean, two of the greatest performances that I've seen this year. Like, I'd be surprised if they did get if they did not get Oscar nominations at the very least. I wouldn't know how to categorize Jonathan Majors. It's like he's kind of supporting, but I can see him, depending on how things shake out, kind of get like a lead Oscar. Nom. But Jesse Buckley, whew, that girl, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's really, really good. Y'all can check out some of my mini reviews that we posting up on the socials pretty soon. And if you're not following your boy on the socials, make sure to do so. You can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Kobe Told Me. And if you're into Facebook, you can go ahead and follow me there at Kobe Mac. But yeah, we posting a whole bunch, kind of getting into everything. It was a really productive week last week. Um, you know, shout out to the Suck My Fan Theory podcast. I made a little cameo appearance on there. It was really cool. They had like a uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You uh, fan theory spin on it. And it's really fun. It's a, it's a, it's a multi-part series that is uh, really inventive and um, uh, really cool. So make sure to be able to check it out. And shout out to those guys. Thanks for the invite. It was really cool. I also got a chance to explore the sports side of Kobe, and um, I did a little guest spot on the Sweep the League podcast. You can go ahead and follow them at Sweep the League, and I got a chance to um, pretty much my boy Gio, uh, we've been going at it for like over a decade, and he challenged me to a GOAT debate. Bron v. Jordan, I was in Team Bron, he was Team MJ, and it was nice. It was probably about like 90 minutes of slinging verbal punches and me defending Bron and making a case. And it was a lot of fun. And I don't know how many of my film fans are also sports fans. But if you're into that sort of thing, definitely give it a listen. It was a lot of fun too. Shout out to Rudy Campos, man. Thanks a lot for letting me come on the podcast. I look forward to doing that a little bit more. This week, equally productive. I got a lot of things on the docket, but I had to go ahead and watch some movies. And you know, I talked about everything that I got a chance to see last week, but I would be remiss to mention The Lion King. The whole world went to see The Lion King. I mean, it, pr- it pretty much bears out in the box office. The Lion King shot out to a record number $191 million. Now, it's crazy because, like, the critics were definitely divisive on this and probably <laughs> probably a little uh, a little more harsher than what you'll find with my review. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the audiences loved it. They got an A cinema score, $191 million. Definitely blew the projections out the water. It was they were lowballing it. They were looking at something like somewhere between like 125 and 150. It's better to go ahead and, you know, project low so that way when it exceeds expectations, it can be great. But this really, really did. I mean, um, I mean, 
family was everywhere. And it's definitely one of those events that I'm happy that families really enjoyed this film and uh, the, the, the critical acclaim or lack thereof didn't take away from it. And, you know, when you start out with $191 million, it pretty much gives you the legs to shape up to be another billion-dollar hit on Disney's hands. And for those that complain that Disney doesn't inspire new and original films and they're just constantly digging in their well of remakes and reboots and retellings the box office speaks if the people didn't want that they wouldn't go see it but they obviously do and Disney and Marvel once again they got somebody at the number two spot you got Spider-Man Far From Home taking in 21 million dollars Toy Story 4 in the number three spot with 15 million Crawl able to pull in a little bit more money at six million dollars as well and then yesterday at five million dollars too Stuber, $4 million in the number six spot. You still got Aladdin. I mean, the legs on this thing. And people said the same thing. I mean, it was it was a weird year for Disney to try to release so many of these remakes and reboots all in one shot, but it's kind of worked out. The marketing wasn't so impressive. The character design of Genie and Will Smith didn't seem to be winning people over. Now, it didn't open up to $191 million, but the film has been in the box office for weeks and it's still chugging along and making a bunch of money 340 million dollars domestic almost a billion dollars globally shout out to Aladdin you got Annabelle comes home in another eight spot with 2.6 million midsummer at 1.5 million dollars the secret life of pets somehow still making money in the top 10 with another 1.5 million dollars I think it's, it's, it's very indicative of where we are it's the summer season you got kids out of school and parents trying to keep those kids busy outside of summer camps without no school. So, I mean, if you kind of look at it, you got The Lion King, Spider-Man, Toy Story, Aladdin, Secret Life of Pets. You know, half of the box office is geared toward the younger audience. So, it's definitely smart if you look at the way things are releasing. Um, but the biggest story at the box office we really can't ignore. Shout out to Avengers Endgame. Your new training box office champion the king sitting on the iron throne of box office receipts it dethrones james cameron's avatar to become the biggest earning movie in cinematic history 2.79 billion dollars doing it in 90 less than 90 days and for those of you that want to talk sideways saying that disney cheated or it wasn't a good look that Endgame had to release new footage or re-release or whatever to try to get the who cares and to be honest with you it was never really a re-release like the movie never left theaters I didn't get a chance to see some of the new images or anything like that or because I mean the Blu-ray is going to be out in a couple weeks to be honest and I'm excited to watch it again I've already watched it four times can't wait to watch it one more time we did some more of my money it's a great film still my number one film of the year it's perfect. Almost perfect. Almost perfect. Almost perfect. It's excellent. 9 out of 10 for your boy. Make sure to check out the review on the website. KobeTomi.com But yeah, I am proud to call that movie the number one earner of all time. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, what it did in less than 90 days that it took Avatar, you know, six months almost in its initial release and then a re-release a little bit later. And don't even know, yeah, that was a full-blown re-release with like new scenes and like at the added spectacle 3D and Disney owns both properties now. <laughs> I mean, Disney pretty much owns everything. Yo, Disney owned San Diego Comic-Con. So yeah, there was a bunch of news to be able to get to this past week. But like, honestly, like, 
as much of the fanboy that appealed to me, I gotta focus from the beginning part of this episode to shout out to Kevin Feige and Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Disney because they took Hall H, turned on his head, and it gave us what we all wanted. We were begging for an event like what they did several years ago when they released the slate for Phase 3. And boy, they did not disappoint. You had Kevin Feige come out there and release an 11 property slate over the span of two years where Marvel's going to be going forward. And I got to say, it's pretty impressive. So starting out, the toughest part of this is knowing that it's going to be about 10 months before we get another Marvel movie. Black Widow not only has been confirmed, you know it's been cast and um, you know it's already been in production. You got Scarlett Johansson, you got um, uh, David Harbour, you got Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh, oh, man, like she's been on a roll fighting with my family midsummer and then now she's inside of a mark that's that's a, that's a chart man that's that's just upward progress <laughs> career-wise um and you got rachel vice moment of silence for her. not a bad moment of silence top five rachel vice inside of a marvel movie man i can't wait to see what she does we haven't seen rachel vice inside of an action movie since the mummy <laughs> i know y'all excited so yeah so you got black widow coming out and I guess at this point, you know, it would make the most sense that this is going to be like a prequel story, but who knows? I mean, Marvel could really go anywhere. That's going to be dropping on May 1st, uh, 2020, and then a little bit later in the fall, you got the Eternals, which we've kind of been hearing a lot of different things about. It's a really, it's a really unique and diverse cast. You got Angelina Jolie, Kumail Nanjiani, Brian Tyree Henry, right? Like, yo, Paperboy. <laughs> Marvel movie. It's so great. Um, you got Richard Madden. Yes, the young wolf is inside of this Marvel movie. You even have um, a character who um, is deaf, a deaf superhero inside of the, um, who's now inside the MCU, being played by a deaf actress, um, which is really great representation. And this is the type of film representation and diversity that we need. And I really just hope that this story not only takes the Marvel cosmic side to where it needs to be, but then also plays with a lot of the um, different themes that we would love to see expressed inside of a lot of our different films. So this 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 part of the MCU definitely is like going to space and beyond, and it's it's unique because there's not any team up movies with inside of this slate either. Followed up in uh, 2021, you got Shang Chi um, dropping February 21st in The Legend of the Ten Rings. That's bringing the Mandarin back, and it's a solo led Asian American actor uh, who was front and center leading this film you got dr strange in the multiverse of madness dropping on may 7 2021 which is going to be it just sounds crazy you know when the first dr strange dropped i i liked it a lot you know it definitely is was well made it was kind of like on the bubble like the top 10 of the mcu films but um it was cool and great visuals you got chiotel edgy of four you got rachel mcadams It was, a, it, was, it was a lot of fun, uh, but I hope that this really ups the ante. You got Scott Derrickson coming back to be able to uh, direct, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing to kind of tell a scarier tale, and um, you know, who knows what that's going to be able to look like. And then, um, kind of you know, ending out the fifth film, Thor, Love and Thunder. Now, the name alone, it sounds cool. It's that graphic that came up on the screen that looked even cooler. It's like a mix of what Thor Ragnarok was, and then just with the title, you're like, oh, where are we going? 
But I'll tell you where we're going. We're going wherever director Taika Waititi wants us to go. He's coming back to be able to direct this project. It's not called Thor 4. It's not called um, As Guardians of the Galaxy. It's Thor, Love and Thunder. And pretty much it's being centered on Natalie Portman reprising her role as Jane Foster and becoming Lady Thor. Now, there's a couple of different runs on how Jane Foster becomes Thor. Is this going to be a story that's pretty much settled on her um, in an alternate universe? Always have been Thor? Or her taking up the mantle past Thor? And it's really, you know, Chris Hemsworth is still very much going to be in this movie. It's unclear how much he's going to be. And then also, Tessa Thompson is going to be returning as Valkyrie. And, um, you know, all the reports are saying that she is going to be the first legitimate LGBTQ plus character with inside the MCU. So, uh, shout out to her. She's awesome for both. Top 15 right now. Alright. But yeah, and, and then of course, what's unique about this slate compared to the slates before is that the Marvel TV universe was initially was initially supposed to be a part of the MCU. And it kind of faded away. This very much is incorporated in the Disney Plus series inside of the slate. So when you have 11 properties in the span of two years, not 11 movies, but you got the limited series that are coming out on Disney Plus starting spring so disney plus drops this fall make sure to get it it's an insane price but starting out next spring you've got um wandavision spring of 2020 which it's got to be some type of alternate timeline between you know uh, elizabeth olsen and yeah i think i think i think this dude um yeah he's, he's coming back to, it's it's nice it's not nice, but it's uh dropping spring of 2020 you got the falcon and the winter soldier in fall of 2020 uh, which would be great to kind of that would make the most sense to you got Loki, which is pretty much, uh, Kevin Feige kind of hinted at it, this is going to be the story of him interacting with the Tesseract and what happened inside of Endgame, and this is what we got, so uh, Loki in the spring of 2021, you have this really cool What If animated series, um, it was a comic run that they're not going to adapt, you know, for Disney Plus, where it's like, what if this person did this, or what if Peggy Carter took the Super Soldier Serum instead of Steve Rogers, and she became Captain America. A lot of things are changing, folks, but it's gonna be a cool what if series. Then you got Hawkeye, uh, Jeremy Rayner uh, returning back as Clint Barton. But the cool thing about this series is that it's gonna be pretty much him passing the bow and arrow uh, down to Kate Bishop, who was really popular in the comics and is a better Hawkeye than even uh, her mentor was. So, yeah, that's 11 properties in the span of two years. Like what Kevin Feige said, there's definitely an opportunity. You know, for things to be able to change, things to be shifted. And that wasn't even the biggest thing that happened at the event. At the end of announcing everything, Kevin Feige, like a boss, is like, yo, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Phase 5. Oh, wow, so there's going to be something after Phase 4. We didn't even get a chance to talk about Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Spider-Man 3. And then he wants to bring somebody out. He says, I'm going to bring out a two-time Academy Award winner, Mahershala Ali. My boy pulls out this little dad hat. It's got blade. The blade graphic comes around a bit. I, I lose it. Blade is black. B blade is back. And he's still black. <laughs> and I'm really, really excited. It's so funny. I was on Twitter today and somebody had posted a, uh, when you see the new line uh, image come on the screen, what film do you think of? And I think of Blade. Like, that was my next to, you know, Green Lantern. Like, that was my black superhero. Like, that was my representation. And, it was a very gritty, gruesome, bloody movie, and I loved it all. I loved the martial arts, I loved the reaction. It was very representative of the 90s, and unfortunately, it's not going to be rated off. 
got to stop that right now. But um, it's going to be a hard PG-13, and I'm excited to see who is going to, yeah, who's going to step up to the plate and try to um, champion the story. And um, I really hope that we get it very soon. I guess we're going to have to wait until 2022. And we, we weren't even able to talk about Fantastic Four or X-Men. And I've got ideas on a way to be able to introduce that, introduce that that I'm hoping to be able to talk about a little bit later. You see, Disney's really controlling it all. I mean, the slate obviously is great, and it's a great injection for something new with the MCU. I have new ideas. Like, I didn't love Far From Home, and I didn't love Captain Marvel, but I hope that things don't trot out the same MCU formula. You know, just give us four moving stories, great villains, epic action, good blends of comedy, and then poignant moments of self-discovery. I think Disney's going to be able to get that right. Just like how they got right Lion King. Now, I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit in the minority of that camp, but I think if you can really divorce yourself the best you can from the animated original and sit back and listen to what I have to say, I'll have to change your mind. I'll see you on the other side. Young lion cub Simba, J.D. McCrae. 
Prairie is celebrated in front of all the pride land as he's presented to the many birds to one day inherit his father, King Mufasa, James Earl Jones' kingdom. Simba's envious uncle Scar, Chiwetel Ejiofor, devises a fatal plan to thwart Simba's ascension to the throne by maneuvering pieces like how in a chessboard to bring about Mufasa's end. Preying on Simba's guilt, he implores the young cub to run away. Filled with sorrow and no direction, Simba flees far away from the only home and family he's ever known and encounters a friend of Meerkat Timon, Billy Eichner, and Warthog Pumbaa, Seth Rogen. The duo takes a young cub in and teaches him the way of living life carefree, free of guilt, free of worry. As time passes in the pride lands of a once lush life and order, fall into decay and chaos. Scars rule alongside a vast number of equally vile Aina forces the remaining lion pride to act. Nala, Beyonce, a child and friend of Simba, escapes a pride and looks to seek and seek out help anywhere. By chance, she crosses paths with a now matured Simba. The two reconnect, and Nala details all that has happened while he's been gone. Still riddled with the suppressed guilt and shame, Simba refuses to return home. Mystical visit with the ghost of his father later that night inspires him to seek forgiveness within himself and reveal what it truly means to be king and convicts him to aid Nala in taking back the land they have lost. Well, if you didn't know this is a very much a shot for shot remake, you do now. I personally have no problems with these types of retellers as I think a story can always benefit from a new generation getting to interact with it through a different lens. The spin here is the behind the scenes to champion a game-changing photorealistic animation technique that would lift the characters from a 2D world and bring them to life in a live-action setting that seems straight out of a jungle safari. Like, the visual presentation is absolutely amazing. Like, there hasn't been anything like it, and there's so much detail, too. From the start of the film to the very ending, you'll never have to take a trip to Africa. You could just watch this movie over and over again. The fur, the scales, the sheen, it all looks and feels real. Like it, it's uncanny. Whatever you say about the film, you gotta give respect to a goal set and a goal met by Disney to bring the Lion King to life. It did that. On the other hand, the innovation technically may also be the obstacle standing in front of the film's way narratively. The trade-off with this animation style is for the steps move forward in technology behind an emotional connectivity that is stunted by its realism. So like, think of a time like you visited a zoo, right? You got all these glorious animals behind glass or enclosures, and, and sometimes you see them in like an artificial landscape, kind of mimics their natural habitat. Sometimes they're playful, sometimes they're not. Sometimes you think they're drugs. I mean, they're not drugs. I, I used to work at a zoo. I worked at the Bronx Zoo, right? They're not drugs. But like, you ever wonder like what they're thinking? thing is, certain animals have a tough time conveying emotion due to their non-human expressions. Like, like a dog. I used to have a dog, and you know like when your dog does something wrong, and like they look at you like they know they did something wrong, they give you like them eyes like, ooh, sorry. But you don't get that same expression from like other types of animals, like, like a lion, right? Like, I'm pretty sure like, well, no, they don't tame, they don't tame lions and tricks at the, at, the, at the zoo, but like at the circus, right? Yo, lion, do this trick, and he messes up. I'm pretty sure a lion is a pout, like, ooh, I'm sorry. Nah, I'm a lion. That's all I'm supposed to do anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, the cool thing is, even if there was that missing connect 
a chance to spend almost two hours reliving for a lot of us some of our favorite childhood memories of Lion King in 2019. But it, it lacks the connecting point that draws you into what, what Simba's feeling when he's terrorized at the elephant graveyard. We miss the full envelopment of despair when Simba is trying to survive the stampede. You know, the one that's concocted by Scar and ultimately witnesses the death of his dad. seven remember but i've watched it so many times it's crazy how the camera pulls in and pulls out and, and how like yo shout out to people who did hand drawn 2d animation because it looks incredible the colors how vivid it was and like it felt so heightened and then in this film when you, when you feel the stampede like i saw this in Dolby, like it feels like you're in it and it, it is hard almost, i won't say it's hard to watch but you know what's gonna happen impossible not to go in and look and to compare this film to the animated original. 
Blessed are those who have never seen it. Because <laughs> you go in with like completely no expectations, no inhibitions. Like this film is still very much an engaging story with fun characters and it's in a musical. Now I will say, just like with Ghouls in a Musical, I was looking for a chorus. I would have loved some of more of the, the side characters to be a part of a animal-like chorus. The giraffes, the zebras, the antelope. And it was a little bit, but not a whole lot. experiencing what I felt when I was seven with game-changing technology, a cast selected to not mimic what came before it, add flavor to a recipe that's already great. Now, the voice performances as a whole, they're about middle of the road. But the standouts that we get from Scar, Timon, Pumbaa, and Mufasa, they're strong enough to keep you invested. Yes, James Earl Jones is a soul return from the original film, and while you can hear Mufasa that is or rated much older, I'll say that. It still carries a lot of the gravitas and majesty that James Earl Jones produced 25 years ago. His timing and delivery matched by the film's editing gives you a fine performance. Now, the editing was a little bit of a mixed bag, but when it came to certain characters, it really worked with him. And I think that's because he's still a damn good actor. Seeing and hearing Chiwetel Ejiofor go toe-to-toe with James Earl Jones was Challenging, I can't even do his voice. <laughs> I can't even do my real play. I can't do his voice. Now, I will say this don't play close attention to like the lion sounds. That, it's not so pretty. Like, I guess I could be a lot harsher on the disconnect between what we see and hear and how it comes out on screen, but it just it, it, it takes you a little bit longer. It took me a little bit longer to kind of get used to it myself, but after I did, I thought it was fine. Now, Timon and Puma surprisingly had an easier time translating their their vocal performances through the animation. Now, I'm not sure if the animators were driven to do a better job or just the power of Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen's portrayal that just kind of brought it out naturally. They were really good. Not once did I long for Nathan Lane or Ernie Sabella, and the script did them justice, too. There was these really cool updates, these nice jokes. The script was flexible enough to allow for Rogen and Eichner's comedic timing and their flair to be flushed out and it really saved the film right when it needed it most. Now the script, like I mentioned earlier, it hasn't changed much. I say it's about 85-90% the same script and they could have done with more of an update too. When you got a live action film that's dealing with evolving technology, it could be a bit stale to get a 2D script that still seems like it was done from 94. So the script was begging for a similar progression with its pacing to kind of match the unreal visuals that we're all looking at. Listening to this, and it feels like that most of what I'm saying is praising one part and then lamenting another. It is. My rating system would also say that the rating that I gave would say something different. The end of my damn podcast, I do whatever I want. So, but like, I walked out the theater and I definitely didn't get that mind blowing, emotion filled euphoria like I did when I was seven. But I was entertained. I was enthralled with what I saw visually. I was fully engaged. Like, I've given plenty of eye rolls in other screenings this year. This film is very unoriginal. Same script. That wasn't too much of a problem. Like, what it did well, it did really well. And then being the first to try out this photorealistic animation, like, gotta get kudos. I believe, I believe this is the type of movie that is going to grow in favor over time. As the technology evolves, and then we kind of, yo, you see what Lion King did? Like, it's 
not easy to teach the old dogs new tricks, but you gotta take the risk anyway. So yes, this film doesn't stack up to the animated original. But like, were we ever really gonna give it a fair shot anyway? It's a technical marvel that will have you stunned by Disney's movie-making magic. There's an equally star-studded voice cast that halfway brings it. Unfortunately, struggles more due to the inherent limitations of the photorealistic animation, but it's a shot-for-shot remake that is as much breathtaking as it is jarring, and it takes some getting used to. Yes. Thankfully, the film plays the hits. It sings the songs you know. It adds a new one, sprinkles in some new jokes, and there's a few standout performances, and it all delivers gripping realism, and it's the very least, if not the greatest animated movie of all time, it's the greatest Disney nature movie ever. Don't act. Yo, Kobe Tommy Rating is a 7 out of 10. Directed by John Favreau. Written by Jeff Nathanson. Starring Donald Glover, Beyonce Knows, James Earl Jones, Chiwetel Ejiofor, J.D. McCrary, Shahadi Wright-Joseph, John Oliver, Billy Eicher, Seth Rogen, Keegan-Michael Key, Eric Andre, Florence Kasumba, John Connie, and Alfred Woodard. Runtime's 118 minutes. It's written. maybe in a small minority that really did enjoy this one however I will say as the days have gone by I'm reading more and more people still being critical of some of the disconnects with like the expressiveness of the character design but still very much like enjoying it and, and I'm glad for that and obviously like the box office speaks say what you will if you want Disney to make more original properties you're gonna have to show them in a different way but there's still a big segment of very least domestic that says yo we're showing up for this no matter what yes Toy Story 10 The Lion King 2 and a half is going to be remade and no they're not going to run out of material to be able to remake and they still have talented individuals that are going to be able to give you know family stories that work generationally to still make Disney a bunch of money but you can't knock 191 subscribe comment share review your reviews not only help me and when you give me feedback on how to make this podcast better i'm obviously sprinkled in some elements to make this a little bit bigger but also it lets people try to find have an easier way to find the podcast so talk about it listen to it read the reviews that are right over at kobitomi.com that's where you're gonna find all of my written content you know i do a bunch of mini reviews throughout the week as well on twitter and instagram at kobitomi on facebook at kobimac if you're in to send an email you can do so too i answer those kobimac at kobitomi.com um i got another big week coming up we got a second pod from the week coming ah, yeah it's gonna be a second pod give you a preview of once upon a time in hollywood i know a lot of y'all are really excited for that also talking about some of the crazy trailers i mean i gave you some of the sdc news that was like a little bit but there's been so many trailers that i'm about to be able to break down and just talk about with so expect a little bit switch up for me in this next pod and um, also if there's anything that you feel like that i need to be able to cover make sure you let me know but as always when they ask you where you heard it from 